so we had some listener feedback from the Oh, the right. The first episode went out. Yes, yes, it did. Uh, and it was pointed out that we didn't intro you in any way. I mean, technically we did, but I think we cut it out because it was like in, embedded in a story that we decided was too long and removed it. That, yeah, OK, that's right, that's right. Um, so uh, well, I guess we, we, you know, apologies for that. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll make sure we kind of don't do something like that again. I, well, I've been ill. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, and this is. I think I remember you having less of a voice. Yeah, and it's still I've still got a bit of a bad throat, but it's uh, it's mostly better. And and this is unusual for me because I I don't tend to do minor illness. I tend to go all in. <laughs> Embrace or, it. Yeah, yeah. Do like I, I either go full hospital job, or I'm just fine. Uh, so so this I, I embrace mean, the inner wuss. Well, so I, I had it when I was a kid. Like the, I had appendicitis, right? Um, that's that's a very rare and very complicated thing. Yes, and most people only have it once at, at most, and that includes me. Uh, <laughs> but but imagine imagine this situation that I was sort of in in a hospital bed, uh, you know, in a certain amount of pain, and the nurse kind of came along and uh, she sort of prodded me a bit, and <laughs> so I went, hmm, yes, yeah, um, it's definitely something. Uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Payne will be in with you in a moment. Well, and then she walked out, and I was like, whoa, excuse me, who, who, <laughs> who, is, who is coming to see me? That's like, and it turns out it, it is P-A-Y-N-E, it was spelled. But, but that's it doesn't not, make it much better. Right, but it's not, but that didn't come out through the, the voice, of course, and it's like, you think... If, you know, if I was Dr. Payne, I would probably embrace and have like a Grim Reaper outfit <laughs> on the black... <laughs> <laughs> and and where like a like an outfit has a cape that yeah. kind of drifts back about five meters yeah, as like, it walks like around, just like sort of glide into the room. <laughs> just black scrubs instead of the blue ones or white ones. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was um, my, my partner sent me to the the shop to because I was complaining a lot. I say I was embracing uh, the, the worst. I, I can see you complaining a lot when like I can see how that would. Go oh, on. I was very much. I, I can't speak without a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the mission is more important. So I, I got my I went got myself down to Tesco's and <laughs> <laughs> I was in the medicine aisle because I like I don't buy med like I said I don't get ill very often so I don't buy medicine very often so I was staring at this wall of choices and and the one thing th there was one that I saw and I brought this into the office and you saw it like it was this yeah. it looks like 1950s. It was a very big bottle of cough medicine. Like well. Well, this is the thing. If I if I'm ill, I want to buy something that's going to do the job, right? I want to go serious on the stuff. So this, this stuff on the front had like uh, dry, tickly, cough, linctus. And first, uh, first thought I was like, I don't know what linctus means. So <laughs> let's let's just let's put that to one side for the moment and just focus on the first four words. Yes. Uh, and so I was like, a tickly, check. That's definitely dry cough. And I. I kind of spent a good few minutes thinking about the, the dry cough thing, because, like, yeah, like, what does it, it exactly mean? Because you, because I put my finger on my mouth and went, it's definitely wet. It's wet, definitely wet. <laughs> but is the cough wet? And then uh, the I'm just so glad you didn't become a doctor. <laughs> 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 just going around to patients and uh, what seems to be a problem? Actually, just first finger in mouth, definitely wet. <laughs> it's, this one's got a wet good. mouth. Right Check. down the sheet. <laughs> 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 but uh, so I thought, like, well, a dry uh, a dry cough. Maybe I have that. But what is what would a wet cough be? And the only thing I could think of is, well, that's that's how I would describe vomiting if I'd never heard the word vomiting, vomit. also known as a wet cough. Wet cough. Well, yeah. But imagine, like, um, imagine if you can that you know <laughs> English was your second language and you'd never heard the word vomit and you were trying <laughs> to describe that. But but it, it turns out that cough is a really versatile word in that sense. Like you can think of. A wet cough, vomiting. I would have said eating in reverse. Eating, <laughs> reverse eating. <laughs> reverse eating with velocity. <laughs> now it's just become Olympic discipline. <laughs> but but there's things like you know, uh, um, nose cough, wet nose cough. That's your <laughs> sneezing. Bum bum cough, wet bum cough. Like it's very versatile. You can describe almost any, you know, evacuation. <laughs> We're with keeping with up off. the trend of just going downhill immediately, <laughs> like <laughs> setting the bar as low as possible. So we should talk about the web a little bit. 
Um, yes, gladly. Re recently, I, um, I was asked to write an article um, about the Visual Viewport API. Ooh, and I, I have heard the name. I have seen your demo. Mm. And I still don't know what it does. Right. Well, that's good. <laughs> this, that will make this conversation convincing, <laughs> uh, rather than just you know pretending we don't know. But like, it was surprising because like normally in our jobs, like we, we kind of just sort of write, you know, what we find ourselves and, and that sort of thing. But this email actually came to me and it's like, oh, we need an article about the you know the the, the viewport API. And it's mm. like, oh yeah, intersection API. We've we've already well, you did the article for that. Intersection so Observer. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, no, no, no. This is a different thing. Like, what? And what, how new is this? Oh, it's landing in Chrome Stable. So, and I, I kind of pride myself a little bit on sort of knowing the things that are happening. I'm just as surprised because I thought you wrote this article because it's just got the implemented this in Canary, but yeah, no, it's no, in Stable. Yeah, completely yeah, under the radar. Exactly. I know this is. It, and huh. So okay. So and I noticed there's something that PPK has, has written about in the past mm. that that mobiles have more than one viewport. So yeah, you're you're looking you're looking through the screen, through it. Well, <laughs> it if you can look through the screen, you might have a problem <laughs> with your phone. <laughs> okay, you're looking at the screen <laughs> on the screen. How? What's the correct way to? It? I would through, say that through the but screen. That, you're asking. What if it's 3D? Can you look through the screen then? Is that if, if well, you're if trying to look at a, a magic eye picture, you have to look through the screen, right? Oh, the magic window viewport thing. You maybe. Right. Okay. So. You're looking at the screen, <laughs> and that bit that you can see is 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 you know a viewport, right? Yeah. Because everything else is outside it. So usually I, I I thought of the viewport as basically the the rectangle of top of your entire document, the the the, the subsection that you can see. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. And that was that was kind of how things started uh, on mobile yeah. as well. Like we had that you know the idea of a whole document and then a, a viewport, which yeah. is the bit you're, you're looking at. But with uh, mobiles, they can pinch zoom. Yeah. Okay. And there but was it still fits the definition, right? Right. Well, so here's the thing, and this is how a lot of uh, browsers implemented it at first: is uh, like position fixed items mm -hmm. would sit uh, on the viewport, right? If you uh, if you position something fixed oh, at the top, okay. it sits, uh, you know, wherever you do that on the viewport. So you're scrolling oh, along. Oh, so if you zoom fixed. in, it would still stick to the top instead. It of gets bigger, and uh, you know, and eventually oh. you can't. Your position fixed items, if you have them, are now taking up right the whole screen. And this is something that I think uh, Apple pioneered: is the idea of, of adding uh, multiple viewports. Apple pioneered. <laughs> so I had to do it. Had so, it. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't even get past that. That's like a. It's a new low. That's a real. And we already had the wet bum cough, so. It's <laughs> a real pun cul-de-sac. I feel like we need to reverse the whole podcast out of that. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. So the viewport API. So yeah. So then you know they had all these position fixed items kind of stuck mm. uh, around, uh, but what Apple decided is to um, to have this extra viewport. So when you pinch zoom in, you're now in a viewport inside. That's very inception-y. It, it, it is. Mop. <laughs> wow. We should have the actual sound when we publish Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, even on the video, so when one of us opens <laughs> our mouths and the actual sound comes out, I think that would be quite weird. <laughs> I would love it. But uh, so, and so this, you know, as you pinch zoom in, you're now kind of in this viewport that's within the outer viewport. OK. Uh, and, and the names we've given them is the layout viewport is the outer one. And that's okay. what's that's kind of the outer scroll viewport of the, the document. Mm -hmm. That's where the position fixed items will, will stick to. And when you pinch zoom in, you're now in uh, the visual viewport. Okay. So it doesn't mean though that a layout viewport only moves vertically. Because no, you can, can still have a layout that is wider than your layout viewport. So Absolutely. you can still move both directions. Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. You can think of the layout viewport as being uh, the same as the visual viewport when you're zoomed out as far as you can go. So if you Are you sure about that? Yes. <laughs> because I think I, did I not say I wrote the article? <laughs> I'm just wondering. No, I could be wrong. I could because I, could be I think I would say it's the visual viewport and layout viewport are the same if the zoom is set to 100 percent. Because sometimes you can zoom out further on mobile, especially if the document is wider than your 
screen, so to speak. But that would be the furthest you can zoom out. No, and that would be the layout. So the, the visual viewport is always within the layout viewport. Yeah. That's the rule. So you you zoom out as far as you can. Oh, then they would all. OK. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and no, and it's an interesting thing about, uh, regarding that, is if you have uh, a meta viewport tag mm -hmm. um, that has um, Oh, I never can remember these two attributes. Right, so you've got width equals device <laughs> width. But if you don't set maximum zoom to be 1, uh, then it's the actual name of the property? I don't know. See? Neither <laughs> do I. I never. Look, in the last episode, you blew my mind with easy ways <laughs> to remember the difference between justify and align. Legit. Whenever I start a website, I Google magic viewport and copy paste that line because yeah. I can, for the life of me, not remember the two start at zoom 1 and don't allow zoom out. Yes, exactly. And, and the thing that prevents the, the, the start don't allow zooming out is if you do have something that, that breaks, that goes wider horizontally, yeah. that will allow the zoom out to go to that, that width, yeah. which means that the layout viewport becomes that width, and it will break a okay. lot of stuff like your position fixed stuff and, and, and what have you. I might, I might have been convinced. <clears throat> so one of the problems that a lot of mobile browsers had is they couldn't decide which uh, viewport the value should be for. So one of these ones is um, get bounding client rect. Oh, that right. yes, I see. That would be a problem, because usually those are the coordinates of the rectangle of the object that you're calling that function on, on screen. But now on screen, uh -huh. right? Right. And most browsers agreed that that was going to be to the layout viewport. So pinch zooming I would tend to matter. agree. Right. But then. Most browsers also agreed that scroll top would mean the, the visual viewport. Really? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. And this had a, this I would have seen that the visual viewport is like a complete abstract. The layout viewport implies layout. And then the visual viewport is just basically a visual trimming of whatever you laid out. Exactly. And that's what, that's what browsers are now trying to do. Yes. They're trying to get to Yes, you've, you've come up with the correct answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're too late. Other people already got there <laughs> and are implementing it. And this is kind of an agreement between uh, Chrome and Apple and yeah. so Mozilla are agreeing as well. So one of the things you would do with get bounding client rect is you didn't want that position within the viewport. You wanted the position within the document. I was just about to say, and then you need both scroll top and get bounding client rect to be layout viewport, because then you can just add the two up. Right. And find the position in the document, which is super important, which I just recently ran into. Because sometimes you want an element to detach from however it's laid out and position it absolutely, but relative to the document. Right, because you want to do an do animation do, or exactly, something. Exactly. And that's why you need to be able to do that kind of math. I guess if we had chosen the other way, it's all relative to the visual viewport, we would have probably added some calls to get to do the calculations in there. Right. But that's unnecessarily complicated. So I'm really happy they went that way. But the web is full of this code now that, that is doing that, you know, uh, get bounding client rec plus scroll yeah. top, which breaks as soon oh, yeah, as we you finish zooming. Yes, true. Oh, yeah, we would have broken the web. Yeah, exactly. So this, this is going to, th this move to making everything the layout viewport is actually starting to fix existing code, which is really nice. Nice, yeah. So the idea is, is like, like you say, make the pinch zooming thing pretty much entirely transparent, like yeah. not something that is reflected in any web APIs. Um, is it exposed in any way? Though? Like, can I figure out if the user is zoomed in? So that's what the Visual Viewport API is for. Ha! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Server wins again. <laughs> I think my job is done here. <laughs> Life winner. <laughs> Yes, that is what the Visual Viewport API is for. And it is basically the, the, the idea is that this is going to be the only place where that is exposed. And it will tell you the position and scale of the Visual Viewport relative to the Layout Viewport. I just realized it's going to seem extremely scripted, but it's actually not. No, I know, right? <laughs> it's just, I know you've not, you know, you don't read any of the stuff I write, so you've no. not seen this. The writing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so someone on Twitter uh, suggested that you give me a bit more of a ribbing. I see you've taken that. <laughs> You're taking it on. <laughs> Everything you do sucks, actually. <laughs> I don't read your articles. <laughs> but, but this is, and I'm not really sure how you would use this API. I mean, you could, you can kind of use it to make something stick to the visual viewport rather than, you know, because you can uh, listen to the events. Uh, yeah. 
and you can like sort of un use like transforms to undo the scaling and reposition. It's kind of uh, there are only a very few cases where you want to do that because accessibility yeah. is bad for accessibility, right? You know. Um, yeah, unless I get. Yeah, I don't come up with the use case right away. So it's like saying maybe you want something to not get bigger when you zoom in if you want to have like a badge or I don't know. Yeah, something visual. Um, another reason. Uh, which I think is, is pretty good for accessibility, is you might want, like, the user pinch zooms in, and then you're, you're still going to have those position fixed items mm -hmm. kind of sticking example, around. You could, you could imagine a video player where you want to mm -hmm. be able to zoom into the video, but the controls should stay fixed at the bottom. True. But then if the user is zooming in because they're having trouble hitting a particular button, then you're, you're, out, you're undoing could, could that. Could you distinguish what element you're zooming <laughs> Well, yeah, you probably could because you would know what this. You would know the touch targets, and you would know the center. I, maybe, maybe. Well, I guess you have some work to do, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one of the things that would be useful for is is when the user zooms in, get rid of all of the position fixed stuff because that is yeah. kind of getting in the way. Unless that is what the user zooming in on, in which case that will be annoying. Like, I mean, it just now landed, so I'm assuming some best practice and explorations are going to start happening soon around that. Yeah, and I, I think it's one of those um, extensible web things where it's yeah. like, it's information we have, we should be giving developers it. And, and you can use it if you with. need it. If not, everything's just going to behave the same right. or better now, I guess. Yeah, and, and even just something like analytics. So you could you know, find out where your users are pinch zooming. You might find on one particular page, everyone's pinch zooming in. So you can then go and investigate and go, yeah. oh, yeah, these buttons aren't great or something. So yeah. Yeah, that would yeah. be one way. But yeah, that's, that's the visual viewport. So uh, what, if, what, if, what have you been looking at? Um, so I just worked towards the Polymer Summit, which I thought yes. was a great event. It went really well, I thought. So we were super professional in the last show in that we talked about the Polymer Summit as an up-and-coming thing, and then we released the podcast after the Polymer Summit, so everything seemed totally, like, totally made sense. <laughs> We're just us sitting there talking. I wonder what is going to happen. Everybody <laughs> else already knows. <laughs> it was last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed that. It was a very fun event. Also, I was really impressed with Denmark as a very uh, progressive city when it comes to Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. Like, not only was their Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere and it was decently fast, except in my hotel for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. But. They have Wi-Fi hotspots in their cabs. Really? And I thought that is a genius idea. Because you, who else than tourists would end up in a cab and would like to be able to look up where to go? Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or you know, find the address of the hotel or call the hotel or something. And now you have Wi-Fi in the cab. Because not everybody like has global roaming data plans. Right, exactly. So and I thought that was, that was really well done. Yeah, especially you know after Brexit, when I don't get cheap <laughs> mobile data in the EU anymore, that's going really? to come in handy. Oh, it's going to be. Yeah, that yeah, probably that might be happening at, yeah, some point. at some point. Yeah, but the, it, like a lot of the Nordic countries are really advanced on, on this sort of stuff. And I, I remember being surprised at how quickly credit cards worked. I know this is yes. such a minor thing. But I, I, went, um, I just went to a shop to buy like, a bottle of like. Diet Coke or whatever it was, Coke Zero, Not I guess. Not cough syrup. Uh, not cough syrup, no. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't buy it properly in England, there is no <laughs> chance abroad. But I, I remember sort of going going to the till with, uh, with the stuff, uh, and you know, I was like, can I, can I pay with card? And the person looked at me like, you know. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, OK. So I, I put the, this is uh, before contactless as well. This is a few years ago. So I put the card in, and then almost instantly, it's like, what's your pin? I was like, oh, pretty good. And I type the pin and press what enter. What is your pin? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> it's Worth a, a try. It's a good fishing attempt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but then it, like, I pressed enter. And what I'm used to in the UK, or certainly was at the time, is you kind of wait for it to dial up and then oh, yeah. wait for it. So I was kind of standing there doing that. And the guy behind the checkout just looked at me and went, you can leave now. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. oh, OK. Excellent. <laughs> to be fair, I, s I would prefer, I'll take the slow experience over no credit card experience at all, because that's what you get in Germany. Right. And this is, yeah, it's odd which countries are super like advanced with this stuff and which yes. aren't. Because I would think Germany would be. I would think uh, Japan would be. But they're not. No, not really. And I feel like, I think in Germany, it's just a thing about people being very, very cautious about anything that has to do with money, and mm. especially if it's money and technology. Then Interesting. we just have a million laws 
that have to be checked out first. And it's, it's, it's encouraging because over here in England, like even the small food stands on like a food market mm. at least have a, like the iZettle thing where you can pay with contactless or with your credit card. Mm. And in Germany, it's like you go to a big supermarket chain, no credit yeah, card. And you're playing with paper money. Yes. I, 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 in Berlin, I remember getting on the, the metro there without a ticket and like I felt very I felt like a rebel <laughs> felt very naughty but I the only reason I did it is because I well I had somewhere to go and and the machine wouldn't the, give no, me a wouldn't. ticket and I, I wanted to I pay. have found out that in Berlin you can do it with the app but the sign up process takes a good amount of time oh, so that makes me sad yeah I, I think it's going to be a couple of years until mm. Germany catches up in that regard but yeah so polymer summit happened it was really yes. good I recommend everyone to uh, Watch all the videos. Mm. That's good talks. That's even a supercharged. There is I, a supercharged. I, I, I do say so myself. Yes. You were involved. I Monica I was involved. In. Yes. Even I was involved. You were. <laughs> <laughs> they let you on stage again. Yes. Who would have thought? Good. Um, I, one of the talks I really liked at Polymer Summit was Justin's. Yes. And he was talking about uh, lit HTML, like with a sort of. Yes, and that really spoke to me because he wrote an alter like he wrote basically a VDOM alternative or a different take on mm. VDOM. And I've been playing around with VDOM a, a lot basically because of tasklets that we talked about in the last podcast, mm -hmm. which hopefully everybody has listened to. <laughs> do you want to do, do like an American TV show previously? <laughs> previously. Oh, we need like a proper announcer, though, because my voice <laughs> So it's just like some <laughs> That was really good, actually. <laughs> I like that. Um, so yeah, I've been looking into VDOM. And it took, I, I heard about VDOM a lot, and I knew basically what it did, that you had like uh, an alternative in-memory representation of the DOM. And if you changed something, it would just create a completely new version and then find out the differences. Mm. But I never realized that is a solution to the data binding problem. Mm. If you look at Polymer, usually like annotate this attribute should always have the value of this value uh, variable that I have in my state. Right, right. And whenever it changes, there's some magic going on that realizes, oh, this has changed. I should therefore also update this attribute in the DOM. Yeah, and I worry and a little bit, especially when it's two-way data binding. And you look at the implementation, and I just never understood it. Mm. There's like mutation observers, but also you create magic getters and setters so you can hook into the mutation of the variable. And if either of the sites change, you have to do all the piping. And mm. it is not easy to implement a proper two-way binding thing. And then VDOM comes along and basically just says, don't worry about the two-way binding. We're just going to like re-render the entire tree as an object and figure out what changed for you. Right. And in terms of algorithm, that is simpler. If you want to do like a really good diffing algorithm, that's not easy. But in terms of how it works, it's easier to understand. And I never realized, OK, so VDOM is a solution to the two-way data binding thing. Right, it becomes very one-way. Yeah, and then the, on the other side, you would use events to bubble up changes back into your state. And that yeah. kind of makes sense. But I always, then after I understood that, I thought about it more and more. And I was like, this is, once again, developer experience over user experience. Right, because it is a great developer experience because like that, that sort of way you're redeclaring the world every time, it, it, it sorts out a lot of state bugs. You put like in you a fairly small library. If you look at Preact, it's three kilobytes. That's right. tiny. Mm -hmm. And it does all these things, plus components and other stuff even. Um, but also, it completely neglects the fact that if you have a decently sized document with a couple, let's say, a couple thousand DOM nodes, right. There's a lot of diffing going on that is completely unnecessary because you, as a developer, know that the big portion of your document is static and doesn't change. Right, and you, you pay that cost per node, not per change. Yeah, so VDOM, I guess the VDOM update or render call scales with how big your document is. Yeah, to some degree. And there's, there's also like should component update, which is your sort yeah. of get out of like, yeah. jail. Like if, 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 there's a large part, if there's a large part of the tree that doesn't change, then you can, in, in the sort of React world, sort of avoid redoing the work there. I have but if, to admit, but if you I do have that entire tree but one change in the middle of it, then And I have to admit, I haven't even looked at Preact and React. I've just looked at VDOM libraries like mm. SnapDOM and just figuring out how they work. Um, and I did kind of like the approach that, or in my head, I was thinking they would div the two VDOM instances. Do you call them instances? The two renderings, Trees, the old, yeah. the current VDOM and the next VDOM, and give you 
in a series of patches that you have to apply to the actual DOM to transition from the old state to the new state. Right. Yep. Most libraries do that under the hood synchronously, and you can't get to that. Because my goal was with, uh, with tasklets to do the diffing in the tasklet, emit these patches to the main thread, and then apply these patches incrementally. So you should look at, the, there is a proposal uh, called DOM change list by Yehuda Katz, mm -hmm. which is his attempt to get this into the platform. Um, it's a very interesting idea. It's, it's a year old, but he's been sort of tweaking it okay. and working on it. And it is, it is the idea of standardizing um, a set of DOM operations that oh. can be transferred or you know, cloned or, or you know, whatever you know, provides the, the decent yeah. performance. That you could, yeah, so you could do all that work in a worker, send it across to the main thread. And I think the missing piece right now is, is having some kind of way to say, hey, DOM, d do, all, do all this. That would actually open up something that I've been wanting to have, is something like incremental mm. or async layout where you would right. have these changes, and you would just apply as many as your frame budget allows. And if the frame is over, you just, that's fine. Then the state, the DOM might not be completely built. Interesting. Okay. But then you could just go to the next frame. Your animations keep going, or whatever is going on. And so then you would just apply the next changes to the next frame. So you would want that to be optional, because you, you would need to make sure you're constructing your DOM changes in a way that where um, a ha halfway through render is, oh, is acceptable. I would, I, but yeah, of course, yeah, the document would sense. have to be laid out for this kind of thing. Mm. But I would, I would like to see that I could use both request idle callback and this DOM change list proposal, build, smash them together and say, like, apply as many as request idle callback allows you. And once that is done, wait for the next frame. So, so we've got this, this virtual DOM uh, idea that React uses, which, where you're paying the cost roughly per node that exists. Yeah. Um, whereas LitHTML and uh, HyperHTML, which, which is a, it does a very similar thing, and I've been looking at HyperHTML. I think Justin they, even they called out HyperHTML as one of the inspirations for LitHTML. Oh, cool. Oh, excellent. Um, so they use uh, tagged templates, JavaScript, <laughs> string, <laughs> literals. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. Is that right? I, I, <laughs> with some of those words, maybe not in that order, is the thing, right? I, I think you're right, but I think I want to also have it as a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the the benefit of using, so you, you you've got your HTML in the sort of string part of the template, which is a very common pattern to have. If you have yeah. a custom element, you want to have your shadow root markup, for example, or just some styles or something in there as like an HTML string most mm. of the time, which is what JSX does in one way or the other. And this one is basically without the JSX pre-compilation bit, right? And instead using the HTML tagged template, template string, string literal. literal. <laughs> <laughs> so and one of the benefits of that is that it knows that the, the string parts of the uh, template do not change. No, because what you use is or the, the thing about tagged template string literals <laughs> is that these are the things, in case people don't know, the backticks, the new backtick strings in mm. JavaScript yeah. are template string literals. Yes. And you can tag them by putting a function name before that, and that means that the JavaScript parser will bisect, dissect the string into mm. the string bits and the bits where you use the dollar curly braces things to put values in there. Right. And then exactly. you don't have to like put the values directly. We can do some, some processing on that first. Yeah. And what Justin does is that he generates a template tag, the actual HTML template tag, mm. and replaces your interpolation variables with something with a placeholder. Right. So he basically remembers in the template tag where values can mutate. And that means whenever you change a value, he doesn't have to div the entire tree, but already knows where to jump and where to compare. Yes. And that makes a big difference. Yes. And, and HyperHTML uh, uh, by Andrea Giamacci is, is imp implemented very similar. Like it's, uh, even if you've got that interpolation bit in the middle of a, you know, a string, yeah. in the middle of a, a text node, um, I, I think what Andrea does is actually uh, at compilation time, inserts a comment in there uh, that you can then go and pick out and then replace that node with whatever yeah. you actually wanted in there. I think Justin just does it with some text and goes and I think he just creates a text. separate text node, but I'm not 100% of that. But most of the time, you just have two operations. Either you set an attribute mm. or you replace a DOM node in the template. Yep. And that's the two operations. You can ex extend it. He has an extension API, a parts API, he calls it, where you can decide to actually this is supposed to be a property or an event listener. Um, right, yes. But at its basic level, there's only two 
parts, which is attribute mo modification and node replacement. Right. And so I, I think if, if it's if you're working with a kind of a large DOM that is updating frequently, yeah. like especially if you're in the React world and your your free your updates come from the very top, and there's yeah. not a lot of um, should component update false happening, <laughs> that you're you're paying that cost of. I mean, the, the VDOM is uh, creation is relatively cheap, but yeah. it's but it's not free. And so if you've got a huge amount of elements, then also can think about garbage cool. collection. If this DOM object is huge and it gets created. Every time you emit a state, it's only there for the diffing period, and then it's maybe there for one for the next iteration, so it's something to diff against. But then it's discarded again. Right, and if you've got an animation happening, like if you're if you're running a request animation frame yeah. transition from one thing to another, there's a possibility that that GC is going to land smack bang in the middle of your animation and, and cause big problems. <laughs> yes, and you'll drop a drop a bunch it's of. It's going to be great for the podcast listeners. Yeah, it sounded like you did a wet cough, mate. <laughs> But I, yeah, I, I played a little bit with HyperHTML. You played with Lit. I, I think it's it's an interesting, interesting pattern. I'm one. I, I feel like it could be the next move of what what is the thing on mm. the web. Where it's 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 a very nice middle ground because I always did the manual. I just write a custom element. I know what things I need to change, and we'll just mutate them manually with query selector and just setting the things. Yep. And this is the getting most of the developer experience. Without paying as big of a performance cost as with a pure VDOM diffing yep. approach, absolutely, and that is really really nice. Mm. So I tried to be a hero a couple of weeks ago. Again, Jake? Y yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but so I I was okay. Now I should preface this with I had been drinking, <laughs> not a lot, not I enough. <laughs> I think at some point we need to have an intervention because a lot of your stories <laughs> start with. <laughs> well, that just suggests I'm very sensible when I have a vegan. No, but like, okay, so I'm I'm walking home. This is it's it's dark. Uh, so I've had a lot to drink. I'm, I'm feeling pretty sensible. <laughs> I'm okay. I, I think I'm sensible, and uh, and a car drives past me quite fast, and then heavy braking. And they do this massive swerve out of the way. And I'm like, what? That didn't look normal. And I took a closer look, and there was um, one of the uh, council wheelie bins you know, that they collect was in the middle of the road. Uh, and these things are like just that doesn't dark. doesn't go there. Right, and they're dark gray color, so I can kind of see that this thing has caught this driver by surprise. You mean you can't see? So you, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, um, it was very well camouflaged. Uh, against the night, <laughs> which it currently was, um, and so I thought, well, that's that's not good, right? I I got a it's like a plastic, or like metal, like the car. Uh, no, it's a plastic, a plastic bin. So in car versus bin, would the car have won? I think the car would have won, but it would there there might have been collateral damage. Collateral damage, yeah. And also, I think just uh, the, I think more oh, the worst thing that could happen is like it could take someone by surprise and then they crash into a tree, which they're less likely to win a, a battle against, you know. And so then the bin hits a dunk, drunken pedestrian on the it's sidewalk. Well, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no, like I, I well, I saw the bin and I thought I'm gonna, you know what, you know, member of the community, I'm gonna deal with the situation. I'm gonna get that bin and I'm gonna remove it out of the middle of the road, so it's no longer a menace. To road users. So we're going from car versus bin to drunk Jake versus bin. Yeah. And you see, I went to the bin and I tried to move it, and it was quite full. It's quite heavy. <laughs> and so I was trying to pivot it onto the, the two wheels, and it kind of, and as I say, I had been drinking. So it kind of spun around. I was struggling to get it leaned, and as I was sort of wrestling with this thing, I just heard a voice behind me going, Jake. And I turned around, and in the car, were my neighbors from across the street. <laughs> I wasn't near my home at this point, but they were on they were driving home and they'd wound the window down and that's when I realized that they were the swerving car or the No, no, this this was okay. this was later as I was trying to move the bin. <laughs> 2 um, hours later still trying to move the bin. Well, but and that's when I realized from their perspective they'd driven around the corner to see me in the middle of the road <laughs> moving a bin around. <laughs> and so I I was like, "Hi, Hi guys. So this <laughs> what happened? The bin was in the middle of the road. I what what I'm doing now, I'm helping by I'm I'm moving the bin. 
away. Because it, because it's it's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. This fin. And they just stared at me and went, "Well, just just stay safe." <laughs> and they drove off. And I just sort of collapsed to the ground. <laughs> I'm such a fool. So I'm never, I'm never helping ever again. At least Nothing. I went drunk. No, at least, yeah. <laughs> because when you explain what you're trying to do when drunk, it just loses all credi credibility. Always. It's exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no way to do it right. So you've been working on a little library thing. Yeah. Um, so as we talked about last time, I'd been, I have my task force proposal going on. Yep. I've yep. been working on the polyfill. And I realized that basically the secret sauce in the task force polyfill should be available separately. OK. So what's, what's the secret sauce? The secret sauce is mm. the whole magic that goes on in Taskets where um, you create an object in a worker thread, uh -huh. and you synthesize a proxy, an ES6 proxy, on the main thread. You synthesize a proxy. That's, That's a nice word, isn't that is, it? There's some mm. good words. Mm. I like that. And then you, now I could say serialize, but I'm going to say marshal because it sounds better. Um, oh. All the operations that are done on that proxy are marshaled into an RPC protocol, a very simple one, sent over to the worker and then reapplied to the actual object in the worker thread, making the proxy behave like the other object in the worker thread, even though it's not in the same thread. OK, so, so, so you've got like a class with methods or something yeah. in the worker, but you've kind of got like a... It feels like it's on the main thread because it's an object behaving just the same way, just asynchronously. Right, it has the same methods, it does the same yeah. stuff, but presumably async, right? It's all async automatically so and and right. I that's what I've been writing for the tasklets polyfill because that's what tasklets tasklets do they make things available in the main thread even though they are on a different thread so so to have the representation on the main thread do I have to write some kind of like headers file or something to, so, so um, that is something that I have in my mind deferred to TypeScript so right now, oh. it's just an ES6 proxy. And ES6 proxies, let's explain ES6 proxies first, I guess, because let's I think they've that. been around for a while. They're yes. actually pretty well supported, but I think they're not very often used because there's, this is the first legit use case I've come up with. Yeah, it's one and of those. debugging, maybe. It's, yeah, well, I'd say it's like ES6 proxies and generators are one of those things that sort of when they landed, I was like, these are so cool. And then I've used them like twice. I use something. them in both now. Is it at the same time? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, is, this really must be a good library. Um, but but the, the, the proxy thing, when I, I, it's like a way so you can, it can catch method calls that don't actually exist on the object. There's multiple. The right sometimes they feel in, in the JavaScript testing world, some libraries bring spies, which feel very similar. OK. Where you can inject a function. Like, before you call the actual function, call my function first. Oh, I see. Um, right. Proxies mm. kind of work in that way, where you give an object with multiple callbacks. And depending on the operation that is performed on the proxy object, mm -hmm. that method gets invoked and gives you a chance to decide if you're going to forward it to the actual underlying object, or if you want to mutate the parameters or the return value, or just discard it. It's all up to you. So you have multiple things. You can react to apply, which is basically if the thing is in, if function invoked as apply? a that yeah, or yeah. just a straight-up function call, oh, which see, under the hood is an apply call. Ah. Um, there is dot .get, there's dot .set, which if you, like get a, if you get a property or you set a property value. There is um, construct, which is called when the thing is used as a constructor, meaning the new operator is used on it. Mm -hmm. And these I are all. I didn't know the new thing. I didn't know that. that and so these are all the things that I catch and turn into a post message. So I right. say, hey, this object just on dot a dot b dot c dot apply was called, or dot mm -hmm. a dot d dot c parentheses. This sub op sub property was invoked as a function, and I pack that in a little object, which is my RPC protocol. It seems a little bit uh, glorified to call that a protocol, but yeah, I'm well, just no, it's kind of is it? It's it, it's it's an IPC. You're going across much. threads, or maybe even processes. So yeah, and then I just send it over post message, and on the other side. My comlink library is used again, and it takes it takes that that object, describes the invocation, and actually does it on the object that has been attached to that post message endpoint. Right. Um, so that was the secret sauce in Taskets. Now that's a separate library, and I call it comlink because I realized that people might want to use it for something else than just site to worker. So how are you handling errors? 
because this I I remember a, a few years ago I tried to build something and I can't remember what it was but one of the blockers was that error objects in JavaScript are not structure clonable so you can't send mm. those across a message I would actually ports. have to look into that because the the good thing is that everything is async so when something fails you will get it as a throw on the other side as well and I've tested it, and I haven't run into issues. And maybe I should mm. pay some more attention. Either they changed it, or I just I, I wrote an extensive suite of test cases. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, it's the typical I'm testing the positive case. I've not been testing error handling really well. Interesting. So maybe that's something I need to look into. So you, you, might, you might find yourself in a situation where you have to uh, serialize the error yourself. OK. Um, and take the name and the type and then reconstruct that on the main front. Unless the whole structured cloning of error messages has happened and Maybe, I didn't because realize I, it. I, I would be sad to lose the stack trace as well. So that's I mean once again that's something you could unpack yourself and send yeah, across. Maybe. But, but okay, uh, I'll I'll look into that. But the reason I, I put it into a separate library in the first place and ripped it out of tasklets is um A it got smaller. I had a chance to refactor it because I tailored it specifically to task at first and now I have a much more coherent package of the entire thing. Mm. But also, I realized that whenever you have cross-origin iframes or just two windows, you use window.open or open a link in a window, yep. while is, you can't necessarily just invoke functions because they're cross-origin, you have post message. Right. Yes. And this would be a way to actually expose APIs that way to another window without going through weird JavaScript SDKs and things. It could even work. With a service worker, and it, yeah, yes, and it's it's really annoying doing that. Uh, I think we, we spoke about it in the last episode as well. That the amount of times I've written the code for like a post message where you know if the type property is or the action property is do this thing, then do this yeah. thing, and you kind of you create this post message router essentially. And Pretty this much. library just means you don't have to think about it. exactly. That was one of the original motivations behind this thing, mm. um, and I'm curious. Like I'm I'm. Going to push it out this week to to the public and get some mm. feedback on it, um, because what I think this could do is this pattern of doing your application work in a worker and doing only UI work on the UI thread, yes. which is something native platforms have been doing for ever. I want to say mm -hmm. um, would make it feasible. I mean, that, I said the same thing about tasklets, but this I think feels different, even though it's the same technology, because it's not tied to a proposal. This is just a library. Right. And it is fairly tiny. I think I'm at 2.5K. But, this, but, but the, thing that tasks, task, the thing that tasklets will add to this <laughs> is the ability to uh, cram multiple of these things onto Ideally. the same thread and, and, and that's, solve I guess this problem. is the result of the feedback I've gotten so far from the YCG discussion around tasklets, where some browser vendors have expressed that they like the concept, but they don't see strictly the necessity to, to get a new worklet type onto the platform. Mm. Maybe we should try using workers. And if they are not efficient enough, make them more efficient. And I kind of see right. their point, because workers are heavily underused. And my colleague Ian Kilpatrick said, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for optimization, because we didn't put a lot of time into optimizing them, because nobody was using them. Right. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. So if we find other incentives to move people over to workers, which would remove Jang on the main thread because only UI work is being done. Yep. And then we would see, for example, currently, I think in Chrome, a worker is around 5 megabytes. Mm -hmm. But it costs 5 megabytes to spin a worker up. While in Firefox, they have been optimizing it. It's only 1 megabyte, oh, which right. is much okay. more feasible on a mobile platform. Yeah. Um, I also find that the loading a worker is actually a really nice way of uh, asynchronously loading code. Yeah. Because you get the worker instantly, even though the loading is happening in the background. And and this is something. Yeah. I, I, and so with your tasklets thing, like you you create the worker, uh, or, or with your your comlink thing, uh, you create the worker. You instantly have these objects you can call methods on. Yeah. But they're async, and therefore we'll just wait until the worker until it's actually loaded. I really like that pattern. The that only really thing well. that makes me sad is um, basically we are at a point where we are kind of saying modules are here. Like in M Chrome 61, mm -hmm. modules are unstable. Safari has modules unstable. They're not in workers. And that's the thing. Right. We, say, we, we pretend that modules are here, they're landed, they're done. Mm. But no browser has them in workers. The, so the spec side of that has been done. Like yeah. There's the like an option to workers. Yeah. There's an option to service workers, an option to shared workers that it says, I want this script to be loaded as a module. Exactly. But no, no one has implemented we're it. We're still waiting for that. And, th and that makes me sad. And, um, I, I couldn't figure out, like even on the Chrome 
team side as well as on Safari side, there is no timeline. Mm. I, I don't even know when this is going to happen. So for now, I, I'm inside the worker. I have to resort back to globals. Oh, I see. OK. So yeah, yeah. Um, import script and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. Which is OK, yeah. but I would like to not to. Like, like to, not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put a link to the, the library in uh, on the website uh, yes. in, in the show notes, and so that's something that other, other people can go and have a play with. So last episode, we talked about uh, the effort to attainment ratio and how I hit peak that, like as in my, my sort of one hour PWA yeah. that got half a million views, Formula One World Champions. And now, then the inverse you had before, I think, with your audio blog post. Yes, people in the office are very familiar with how much I complain that no one likes my audio blog post. The thing is, the ones that, that are unpopular are the ones I actually read of yours. <laughs> is that right? Even though your blogging is Yeah. Oh, like I said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why every episode we have to have a Surma, a Surma swear. It's the Surma swear. We need a little jingle for that. Da, 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 da. So much work. No, we should, maybe we should just <laughs> bleep it. Yeah, <laughs> let's just bleep it. Yeah, f it. <laughs> 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 so yeah, my yeah, people in the office will be familiar with like my, my audio blog post as yeah something I was I was I spent so much effort and, and no one you cared. Actually doing all the in, the the investigation of the re-encoding the same audio file in like eight thousand different ways to test where the weird. 400 samples of silence yes. at the beginning, beginning yes. are coming from. And yeah. So I, I, I want to talk about a different example of that. One that I closed the loop on uh, only, uh, well, at that time recording last week. Uh, but it's been more than a year's worth of kind of on and off work. And no one cared. <laughs> no one cared uh, any step along the way. So but I just wanted to kind of share, share the journey of it. Same story. And it was, share your suffering. Yeah. So this, this kind of started in, in, in July uh, 2016. That you know, we changed some of this, the way we render uh, SVG during animations uh, in relation to how we do will change. And so as if, you, if you were to scale an SVG as part of an animation, Chrome will try and render it every frame. Yeah. Which means you get like super sharp image, but. Also a repaint every frame. Also a repaint every frame. And on mobile, that means like dropping yeah. frames left, right, and center. Even on desktop, if it's a complex SVG. Or um, full screen SVG, I guess. Exactly, and there are browsers that do a better job of SVG rendering. Um, yes, I Edge can. Edge is really good. Yeah, um, but even then, like with a complex SVG, you're dropping frames, and so I, I we had this thing create image bitmap. Mm -hmm. see, right? So you you give it a blob or a, an image uh, elements, um, and you get out a, a bitmap data object, an image data object, which is kind of already pixels. And whatever. Very so. fast to get onto a screen, right? Right, yes. Yeah. That, all the heavy work is done within the create image bitmap, and then you can put that on. So the basically, canvas. the paint and rasterization is done. It's just a transfer. Yes, a transfer on, of on memory. The, yeah, on the graphics card. Yeah, yeah, uploading a texture essentially yeah. at that point. Uh, and so I thought, oh, this, this is interesting. So, you know, what if I can like take an SVG and scale it, and then during the scale, like in the background, doing create image bitmap for that SVG at different crops and different scales, oh. and then apply those lazily and sort of like fade in the sharper version over the top or something. Mm. So, so you, you get the benefits of like 60 frames a second just scaling a bitmap. Yeah. Really simple. But then Every you graphics are, card is good at that. Ex exactly. But you're getting those, those sharper versions of yeah. eventually, or as fast as the, the machine can create them. So are you do, doing like speculation? How much ahead of time you have to set your next scaling um, so at the time, I was thinking, like, if I'm animating from A to B, mm -hmm. then I'll just uh, I'll do two steps. I'll do the got the first step; Ooh. it's already there, and then the second step will be whatever is going to be in the viewport at the end. Okay. So ignoring the bits that would be outside the viewport, so the browser can optimize by yeah. not rasterizing stuff that the yeah. user can't see. Um, and create image bitmap would take a it, could, it takes a source x, source y, and then width and height, so you can yeah. do a crop. But what you couldn't do is a resize. Oh, because usually for like a blit, you have the source x, source y, source width, source height, and then you have the destination x, y, and destination width height. Exactly. So the, the 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 end result wasn't there, which which sometimes doesn't matter so much for a bitmap. Because yeah. yes, when you actually paint it to the canvas, uh, you you can set those things. But I because it's an SVG, I want it drawn sharply at a particular size. Yes. So that wasn't there. 
So my first task was to like write a proposal for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, do um, some of the, the Chrome bugs around that. Uh, you know, submit an issue to the spec, and like, I I got it. And I thought that yeah yeah f thank you very much, um, and but then also I was I, I went and dug into the spec and I helped with that and it was actually my first PR to the HTML spec. Uh, I know right this and so I was fixing um, some problems of the create image bitmap spec to make sure it worked properly for vectors. Mm -hmm. um, and also caught a couple of uh, other bugs, um, but I, I didn't want that to stop me. So I thought <laughs> I thought like in the meantime I can just edit the um, viewbox part of the S SVG Ooh. string. Hack. It's a I hack. would be so afraid of touching that because you have not only the view box, you only also have the width and the height and the alignment bit on how it reacts to scaling. I so uh, obviously, I I did it the correct way and I used regex to parse <laughs> <laughs> to parse those bits out. And no, but I, this was just a proof of concept, so I was I was happy yeah. with that. Um, and that's when I, I found out that the, the create image bitmap for SVG was all done on the main thread. I was like, well, this is useless oh. to me. <laughs> it's this, at least I can ra rasterize less, but it's still going to do that almighty jank when it's to, to render that bit. <laughs> the almighty jank. The almighty jank. <laughs> That's a good wrestler name. I like that. <laughs> uh, I would like to see you in a wrestling ring. He just, <laughs> the almighty jank like, walks into the ring and then just freezes <laughs> while the other guy just sort of walks around. Takes a like, chair from the uh, side and just goes. Just hits him and he, <laughs> and he just Falls over. It just doesn't doesn't turn into just a cardboard cutout in the yeah. meantime. <laughs> no limbs move. He just sort of pivots over and hits hits the floor. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of thought, well, let's do it in a worker then, because that's that's going to put it in another thread. Mm. And uh, but no, the SVG no, it doesn't. S <laughs> the SVG stuff. The create image bitmap is in a worker, but we don't support yeah. SVG in there. So, uh, but I wasn't let that stop me. <laughs> I wrote my own SVG renderer. I just wanted to get across how much effort I put into this stupid side project. Um, oh, no, what I did in the end is like, I thought, is, is there a way of um, doing that multi-threading but with Windows? So I tried with iframes. Right, so As you're known to do. Exactly, a bunch of iframes. But um, iframes run on the same event loop as the parent page. Even if they're cross-origin? Even if they're cross-origin. This is something oh. that, that Chrome is looking to change. And other browsers are looking to change as well, because um, the spec says Because I get it that they have to run on the same event loop when they're the same origin, because you can actually synchronously invoke functions exactly. on that iframe. Mm -hmm. You can just go iframe.content uh, window, window, and yep. then you have access to the entire JavaScript scope. Yep. So exactly. they have to run in the same event loop. Exactly. But cross origin, you cannot. So there would be an opportunity to run it. So there is a. Separately. I think there might be a flag in Chrome called uh, OOPIF, which stands for Out of Process Iframes, which is this. Th that obviously. Whole thing, uh, obviously, uh, which is what we're working towards. Uh, but in the meantime, no, no fun there. Um, so I thought, well, what if I was just opening extra windows? I mean, it's hacky, but proof of concept. That should work. Cross origin window should run in a separate. So, uh, so I, yeah, I started with same origin at first. Um, same event loop, same, same problem, right? You Cross origin, same event loop. No way. So yeah, and and this is it's kind of the same problem as the iframe is that we do you have uh, oh you have opener you have opener if yeah now that doesn't give you access to the Windows contents but and and, it, and this is unless a Chrome they set themselves the same domain I think right so you, but you can't do that if you're fully cross origin yeah right? if, you, if there's no way that they can come down to a, a similar domain yeah. Um, you can scope yourself upwards, right? Like you, if you're on a subdomain, you can yeah. scope yourself upwards to the top. Yeah, we're using yeah. document.domain, which is the weirdest API. I and know. it's old, and it, it would be so much better if we didn't have it. But we've got it. We're stuck with it. Uh, so we're, um, but then like, the, so the, the opener thing is a problem, right? Because if you open yeah. a window, it has a, a hook back to that window, and it can navigate it. So it's a security issue. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I think many months, even years ago, you blocked about rel no opener as security issue. So that was part of this really? investigation. Yes. Surma wins again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need a jingle for that as well. Winning, winning, <laughs> chicken dinning. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it was actually uh, Matthias Barons that, who actually first blogged, well, I, I first read blogging about um, the opener issue and how you can use rel no opener on links to say, I don't, don't do that. <laughs> Literally, don't. don't do that. But I experimented with that, and it turns out that even for same origin pages, 
if you open it rel no opener, it will open it in a different process, different thread. Interesting. And this is against the spec to do that, because anything that's similar origin should be on the same event loop. But I was like, does rel no opener also mean that I don't have access to the scope, even though they're same origin, like the JavaScript scope? Uh, correct. Interesting. I wouldn't have I thought that. Or maybe it did have to be cross-origin. I, I thought the parent could still access the child scope, but not the other way around, because the window.opener would be gone. I don't know. But I mean, if they're on a, on a different event loop, they must not have access, because you, there's no way to invoke function synchronous. Right. I, I, now, I, now, now, like I said, this was last year. And so <laughs> my memory now maybe makes me think it was a different origin. But then there's still the, doc the domain thing can bring them onto the same yeah. thing. I think it locks you out of, okay. of being able to I mean, to that would be fair. And so you said it's against the spec anyway. It is against the spec. OK. Um, because of a document dot domain, like, those things can, can become synchronously yeah. accessible. So like, they have to be part of the same event loop. But hey, I found my hack. It was fine. Huzzah. And I actually built this thing where you would spin up windows, <laughs> but one window per thread, and then a, a, a shared um, a shared worker would act as the sort of go between between the two. So the, the page is asking, I need this you should bit have, of SVG. You should still have post message directly, though, right? Why do you need uh, the shared worker in the, the middle? No, because it was um, I can't. Oh no, yeah. Oh, so here's the thing: window open would always be on the same process. This had to be uh, an ahref blank. And that explains the other bit before. I had no script access to these windows. Right. And that was the only you way don't I could get a do handle. It. No handle. So that and that was that the only hilarious. way to get it in another process. So that yes, now I remember. <laughs> it was same origin, no handle. Okay. Um, and then so it was the shared worker was the go between. So you okay. know, it was just sort of cycling through all of the threads it had and went. I, I think there is this great new library that can help you. Where were you? Where <laughs> were you last year with with the comlink stuff? Um, and, I, and it kind of worked. And I, um, I, hack, I used um, Open Sea Dragon, which is a kind of library for doing map tiles. Oh, um, yeah. But used that like, and it's entirely coded to uh, fetch those tiles from the network. So that it was like ripping out code and saying, "No, I want you to get this. Just okay. come and ask me for this stuff, and I will provide you a canvas with what I okay. have drawn eventually." <laughs> uh, and I did that, and I looked at it and went, "This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can't write about this." <laughs> But what I did come out of it with is a, um, I, I, I wrote the post about no opener, which actually some people read. That was OK. Yeah, that was OK. <laughs> but I also wrote a post about, like, because I was thinking, if you have media queries in your SVG and you're drawing them to a canvas. Oh, god, that math problem. Which media query does it use? Like, which yeah. viewport is it using to do this? So I, I did tests. I, I found, like, all the browsers were doing it differently. Uh, IE was doing it the most sensibly. So once again, back to the HTML spec, writing issues, yeah. writing issues for the uh, SVG spec on uh, how they, how maybe they could need to define it. Wrote my blog post about it. No one cared. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, 500 people have read this post. Which I know, very frank. It's great to have 500 readers, but you know, especially when I, you know, I get to those 500 people. Yes, thank you, all 500 of you. But. Um, but especially when you can, like, you know, we're a fortunate position we're in where we can chuck the uh, Chrome developer's account at it and it can retweet <laughs> it. And that has, like, more than 500 followers. <laughs> and most people saw that and went, I'm not, I just, nah. no, that doesn't nah. look interesting to me. Um, but eventually, like, very recently, Create Image Bitmap um, now runs off the main thread, even for SVG. So okay. I, I redid the demo, much simpler, don't need to do all of the, the window hackery. Window hackery, can just do it on the main thread. It's got a proof of concept. It Not runs. the main thread. It's I, well, OK, so I only needed one window, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. I didn't need workers, because it, it yeah. was just automatically off the main thread. Oh, so, oh now I understand. OK, so, so you, you don't even have to spin up a worker anymore. No. I can just it just create image bitmap and it's gonna do the it's the rasterization. Yes, it returns a promise. Well, it always did return a promise, but oh. it just thought I'm returning a promise, but eh, whatever. I'm still gonna do the work in the main thread, <laughs> which is incredibly not. I helpful. mean, but that's I guess that's opened up this possibility of changing it later on, which is something yes. I think we've been talking about that all new APIs should really strive to be async. If by default. A, yeah, if there's a potential that it could take a lot of time on the main thread, yeah. if, it, if it's async, then we've, yeah. And I guess one of those things that you could point to is like JSON parsing yeah. and stuff that maybe, oh, it'd be nice to maybe have a, an async, async. Or even streaming. A streaming version of that. Exactly. That'd be great, right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, I wrote, wrote an article about it. 
um, showing how you can kind of have a like a pinch zooming mm. uh, SVG that lazy renders. No one cared. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> so that's a year and a half of my time. Uh, well spent, I think. But you're now a contributor to the HTML spec. Oh, so I, exactly. And, and kind of, I learned so much about doing this. That's stuff. always the thing, um, right? Like even though the outcome as a blog post, I mean, it is a corner case. You have affected maybe 0.01% of the web with this. I, I totally get that it was just an obsession around And even then, the you still thing. learned not only about SVG specifically, but about the interaction of Windows and workers and the event loops and all these things that sometimes become really, really relevant, even if you do everyday web development. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing, except maybe all my time back. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's quite silly. He said while sitting on a podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs> and and on, on that note, I, we should probably stop G talking. Give, give our listeners some time back. Yeah, exactly. They wasted enough, really. Yeah. And it's, you know, well, I feel now that like uh, the time I wasted on that, I feel like I've passed that on. <laughs> I've, I've, like, it, I couldn't get people to visit the blog posts, so now I've wasted. I visited everyone manually. Through their ears, I'm <laughs> wasting their time. Um, we'll put a link to the blog post. Yeah, get it a few more hits. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> In the description anyway. It might become eventually worthwhile. Um, so yeah, I guess like if anyone has, do, do we do? Do we want to do questions? If anyone has any questions, should they send? No, I mean, we're going to ignore them, but they can send them to us on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah, just just send us some <laughs> unrelated pictures. No, don't. Actually we're going to get, get the listen it. account down to zero at some point. Yes, exactly. That's the, I mean that's why these podcasts are so long. It's it's a it's a challenge to people. Can they get through to the Are end? Are you really that committed? With, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How much can you stand, the, the two of us? Well, I guess I'll have to see you next time. Next time. Bye-bye.